Welcome back to Indisputable. I'm Ravana filling in for Dr. Richie today. And joining me is the co-founder of Politiscope, Rebel HQ contributor, and the host of the YouTube channel, channel Politics and Paper, Jackson White. Jackson, thanks so much for being here with me today. Oh, yeah, it's absolutely a pleasure. Every time we on together, it's always fun. It's always hilarious. And I didn't know this was going to happen until I got that email early in the morning. You know what I'm saying? So I'm ready to go. We got the technical issues out the way. We ready to jam. Awesome. So with that, let's just jump right into this first story. New York City has agreed to pay more than $20,000 each to hundreds of protesters who were trapped and assaulted by NYPD during a 2020 BLM protest in the Mott Haven neighborhood of the Bronx. Here's bystander footage of the incident. So now that you've seen the heinous and violent acts of police brutality, let's get into some details about the settlement. Per the Gothamist, according to documents filed in federal court on Tuesday evening, the city and the NYPD reached a proposed settlement to compensate anyone who was corralled by police during the infamous June 4th crackdown, which took place at the height of the protests against the police killing of George Floyd. The settlement, which must still be approved by a judge, is believed to be the largest ever per-person payout for a class action lawsuit arising from a mass arrest, according to Allison Frick, an attorney for the named plaintiffs who brought the class action lawsuit. Frick said the settlement is expected to be finalized in October, with victims likely receiving compensation before the end of the year. Roughly 300 protesters were marching along 136th Street and Brook Avenue when they were blocked on both sides by walls of heavily armored NYPD officers, a tactic known as kettling. Officers proceeded to attack the group with batons and pepper spray before arresting an estimated 278 people. Among those trapped were medics, legal observers, and journalists who may be eligible for compensation. Under the terms of the settlement, 
Anyone who was present for the kettling will be eligible to receive $21,500. An additional $2,500 will be awarded to each person who was arrested. The city is expected to pay an estimated $6 million to participants in the Mott Haven protest, in addition to attorney's fees arising from the case. So I want to, I just want to say to everybody, next time you hear New York City Mayor Eric Adams talking about all of the taxpayer dollars being wasted by people jumping turnstiles on the subway, remind him about all of the taxpayer dollars being wasted because of police misconduct and having to pay out settlements because of their abuse. All right, let's get into a few more facts about this. Subsequent reports from Human Rights Watch found cops acted, quote, unprovoked and without warning, wailing their batons, beating people from car tops, shoving them down to the ground and firing pepper spray in their faces. The group accused the NYPD of serious violations of international human rights law. They described the police response, which was overseen by high-ranking department officials and primarily carried out by the NYPD's controversial strategic response group as a serious violation of international human rights law. In an unattributed statement on Wednesday, the NYPD said the protest came during a challenging moment for the department as officers attempted to balance demonstrators' First Amendment rights with what the agency referred to as, quote, wide-scale rioting and destruction. Apparently senselessly beating people with their batons and or shooting pepper spray directly into their faces is their idea of balance. Now, the settlement does not include an admission of wrongdoing by the NYPD, whose leadership under former Mayor Bill de Blasio, who you can see here on the left, vigorously defended police actions. The day after the protest, former NYPD Commissioner Dermot Shea, who you see on the right, said the response was, quote, executed nearly flawlessly, describing the protest leaders as outside agitators. On Wednesday, though, the agency said it had re-envisioned its policies and training procedures around large-scale demonstrations after receiving recommendations from several outside agencies. I mean, Jackson, you saw the video. Nearly flawless? I don't think so. Yeah, I mean, I, I, you really could only have that opinion if you just kind of heard through a friend of a friend about what happened. Um, but I think it's very important that uh, these types of settlements happen and that we amplify them because, uh, as you pointed out, this is just a clear violation of human rights. It's uh, our right to protest. It's our right to gather together to voice our concerns about what's bothering us in society and how to fix it. And then, you know, really to just showcase how shameful it is, is that these are the people who are supposed to serve and protect, and these people are paid with tax dollars. So it's like a double waste. You know, the money that goes to keep their lights on, pay their bills, also is being used to pay people back from being beaten and thrown in jail. You know, $21,000 per person, that's somewhat of a settlement uh, that doesn't erase what happened. And that also doesn't change the fact that things like this happen regularly and that they'll likely happen again, given the fact that we're going into a new presidential election. There's a lot of, uh, I would say, dis uh, political disagreement in the country, and uh, we can expect to see a lot more protesting. Uh, so, again, I think it's important that we amplify this settlement because we have to hold them uh, accountable for what they do to us. Absolutely. And I'm glad that the victims of this are going to be receiving a settlement. But of course, ideally, we would have systemic change so that these instances wouldn't need to come to a settlement in the first place.
All right, let's move from New York City to someplace right in my backyard, Chicago, and the news with our mayoral election. Lori Lightfoot, the first black woman and the first openly gay person ever to serve as mayor of Chicago, on Tuesday became a one-term mayor, maybe helped in part by my vote against her. Mayor Lori Lightfoot finished third in Tuesday's election with 16.89% of the vote behind former Chicago Public Schools CEO Paul Vallis at 33.95% and Cook County Commissioner Brandon Johnson with 20.32%. Vallis and Johnson will face off in the April 4th runoff. Lightfoot will play out her term, which ends in May. Now, and this is a little petty of me, but I'm going to show it to you anyway. Following her defeat, Lori Lightfoot was spotted at a local Walgreens, leaving with a pack of Modelo's. So while her time as Chicago <laughs> mayor may come to an end, Modelo time is forever. Modelo time is forever. <laughs> now, I mentioned that I didn't vote for her, so I want to talk a little bit about why that is and some of the controversies she had when she was the mayor. So Axios Chicago reported that in 2020, Lightfoot's police department clashed with protesters during uprisings after the killing of George Floyd, and Chicagoans watched as looters ransacked Michigan Avenue. The mayor ordered downtown bridges raised in an effort to control the crowds. Lightfoot battled over a contract with the Chicago Teachers Union early in her term and presided over an 11-day teacher strike. The mayor and CTU fought over again over COVID safety protocols, which kept kids out of school for five days in early 2022. And now Axios has a bit of a right-wing spin to it. So I want to give some context, particularly to the criticisms of her response to the George Floyd protests in Chicago. They mentioned that she raised the bridges downtown. She also issued a mandatory curfew. Now, for anyone familiar with Chicago's loop, it's only accessible by those bridges and one footbridge. And she gave maybe 30 minutes of warning for the people to leave before they would get arrested for violating the curfew. So essentially, in tandem with the Chicago Police Department, she trapped the protesters there and then allowed the police to corral them and arrest them. So that's where that criticism stems from. And her battles with the Chicago Teachers Union were spite-filled and ongoing throughout her tenure as mayor. Now, I want to get into a bit about the two remaining candidates in the runoff. Uh, but before that, Jackson, I want to bring you in with any thoughts on this. Um, well, I think that, you know, as a political analyst, and, you know, we both do the same thing, uh, sometimes there's a lot of stories or incidences of people that you only know about because you're forced to read for them for work in some type of capacity. And the reason I say that is because Lori Lightfoot never really drew my attention for much of anything other than being the first black and first openly gay mayor. Other than those two credentials, you know, her, her personality, her charisma, or lack thereof, or anything along those lines never really made me pay that much attention to her. And interestingly enough, you know, it's, uh, I read that she started this race with like her approval rating in, in, in the mid-20s or something like that. And I mean, that just says a lot. Um, wh what does she really have going for her um, to keep her in office? It just seemed that people generally didn't like her uh, across the board, uh, both for her policies and just kind of, again, where was her personality? Where was her charisma? She didn't seem like somebody who was really on the front line of anything. So overall, I say that to say she seems to be somewhat of a forgettable candidate, and that's why she lost. Absolutely. It really was in Chicago a weird coming together of everyone across the political spectrum, from the far left to the far right. 
to hate Lori Lightfoot. I mean, I'm surprised that she even did as well as she did at this election. Um, but so let's then turn to the two remaining candidates in the upcoming runoff race, because their differences could not be more stark when it comes to the future of policing, as well as the future of education. According to CNN, former Chicago Public Schools CEO Paul Vallis has run an uncharacteristically disciplined campaign, singularly focused on this law and order message. Decrying the utter breakdown of law and order in Chicago, he wants to add 700 new officers. Vallis also wears his opposition from the teachers union like a badge of honor. Also want to include that it was just a few weeks ago that he said that he's more like a Republican than he is a Democrat. So then let's turn to the very, very different candidate, Brandon Johnson. Brandon Johnson won't commit to filling the 1700 police vacancies or fully funding the Chicago Police Department's $1.94 billion billion with a B budget. In fact, he wants to cut at least 150 million from the police budget by reducing the number of supervisors and raising the ratio between bosses and rank and file officers. From CNN, the cornerstone of his anti-violence strategy is the tax the rich plan to roll 1 billion in new spending on public schools, transportation, new housing, healthcare, mental health and job creation. He wants to train promote 200 new detectives, launch a comprehensive efficiency audit, close CPD's Home and Square facility, erase a racist gang database, and end the three-year, $33 million shot spotter contract. So I voted for Brandon Johnson in the first round of voting this week. I fully support him in the runoff election. I urge everybody in Chicago to vote for Brandon Johnson. Don't get fooled by the Republican. Self-admitted Republican, but I mean, it is, you know, Jackson, interesting that in cities like Chicago, even a Republican has to run as a Democrat because they know they don't stand a snowball's chance in hell running with an R next to their name. Well, I was actually just going to ask you about that because even though, you know, um, the, the law and order candidate, obviously that's much more of a conservative uh, approach, but is the political disparity that big in Chicago, even though it's a very democratic city? Are people really that divided in terms of policy approach? Because, you know, Chicago's relatively well known for crime in terms of how it gets talked about in the media, especially uh, by Republicans. Um, so is that really one of the bigger concerns that people have? Because, yeah, crime's bad in Chicago, but crime's bad anywhere where there's poverty. So, you know, so that's basically what I'm asking. Like, is that really people's bigger concerns there? Or what do you think is the vibe of the race? It's an effective messaging, I think. And I think that there is this sort of myth that Chicago is uniquely violent when if you look at it, you know, by the data, it's not one of the number one cities for gun violence or homicide or violent crime itself. Um, but when you have these local news stations that are constantly showing footage of, uh, you know, instances of violent crime and sensationalizing them to people, you know, who don't live in the neighborhoods where violent crime tends to happen. They don't live in these impoverished communities with the lack of resources and poor education. You know, they they easily fall victim to it. So it's definitely something the candidates need to address. But I think that Paul Vallis is really underestimating the importance of education in this election um, because that is a huge issue for, you know, 
Chicago voters. Um, and Brandon Johnson has been, you know, very proud of being endorsed by the teachers union, um, where Paul Vallis is claim like literally bragging that he is hated by the teachers union. Um, when I think there's a lot more votes to be won in that field. And I think that Brandon Johnson still stands a really good chance of winning this runoff uh, because of all of the voters up for grab who voted for um, Chewy, who is a congressman, a progressive congressman from Chicago's West Side. Willie Wilson had a strong showing and even Lori Lightfoot voters. Um, whereas I think Paul, Paul might have, Vallis, excuse me, might have hit his threshold, but we'll just have to see. But yeah, crime definitely does play a role in the elections in Chicago, the messaging definitely helped him leading up to this first round of voting. Yeah, because that's kind of what I figure. I mean, I'm from St. Louis and the, you know, like, and a lot of it's per capita and stuff, and it's higher than Chicago. But again, like, violence and stuff is pretty much the same anywhere you go where there's poverty um, in terms of the type of conditions. But that's pretty hilarious that Vallis is, like, bragging about being disliked by some of the most uh, essential people in society. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, bro, just, just run as a Republican. It's okay. Right. Um, but yeah, no, that, uh, this is definitely interesting, though. But when I, when I first saw the news about Lori Lightfoot being the uh, first mayor to lose re-election in 40 years, I mean, even without knowing, like, a whole lot about her track record before I looked up to it, I mean, I was like, it's clear. I don't know. People didn't like you. I mean, what else, what else is there to say? If people liked you, that wouldn't have happened. Yeah, absolutely. Well, goodbye, Lori, and I'll verge, or urge, excuse me, everyone who lives in Chicago, please go vote for Brandon Johnson in April. Early vote vote by mail, go on the day of voting, whatever you can do, vote for Brandon Johnson to keep a Republican out of our mayor's office. With that, we have to go to a break, but stick around because there's more indisputable after this. Welcome back to Indisputable. I'm Ravana filling in for Dr. Ritchie, joined with Jackson White. Let's take a look at what some of you are saying in our comment section. All right, from TYT members, make you see the silver haired dragon says, the two other candidates are on opposite ends of the spectrum. Vallis is so much right wing. Johnson sounds like a human being on the left. And that is a perfect summary of what's going on here in Chicago. Um, and then on YouTube, Tyler has says, love to see y'all holding it down for Dr. Richie. Thank you for always speaking the truth. And thank you, Tyler, for being a member with TYT. All right, men, women, NBs, I wish a Karen would. You wanna call the police on them for having a barbecue on a Sunday? You're gonna feel right, back off! I'm gonna tell them there's an African-American man threatening my life. Wait, Lindsay, you give me a minute, I put it on your Got a UK Karen today. According to the Instagram account Fighting Asian Hate, this UK Karen was complaining about an order she received saying it was raw and watery before throwing the order and its packaging at the worker. And I can't imagine a group of people less well positioned to complain about the way food is prepared than the British. <laughs> 
Now, the situation escalated further when the Karen called the worker an anti-Asian slur, which we bleeped out for obvious reasons, and then went on to rant about how she was born in the country and the worker came over in a boat. I mean, the audacity of these Karens, every time I see these stories or I cover them with Dr. Ritchie, I'm just shocked at the ability of people to be so wrong and so confident that they're right. Jackson, what do you think? Well, you know, the UK Karen should be quite more used to Asians than we are over here in the States, as you know, Britain and Asia have been co-mingling for quite some time. Quite a bit longer than they have over here. So, you know, there's that. But also, these are tricky situations because it's kind of unacceptable for anybody to put their hands on a little old lady. So, like, really, all you can do is call the police and just kind of take whatever abuse she's giving you because it's like you can't like Get out of here. You know, you can't like just take her and, and, and throw her out. At least if she was a younger woman, you could have like a, a woman go do that or something. But this is just a tricky situation to be in, you know. But uh, but yeah, like I said, uh, well, like you said, I can't think of a single like popular British dish. You know what I mean? I, not that they not that they don't exist other than like tea and biscuits and stuff like that. I, I really don't know what's a what's a name. But yeah, no, no, the 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 Brits they they should be quite used to uh, to to Chinese people, Asian people, Vietnamese people, all of that, you know, considering how they ran around the world doing what they did. Um, I can think of one other British dish, which I just think only serves to prove my point further: beans on toast. Ah, yes, that's quite sophisticated. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> All right, let's move into this next story, uh, and it is horrible, just truly disgusting. In Kenosha, Wisconsin, a car dealership is facing backlash after one of their employees desecrated a black customer's driver's license with bodily fluids. And I'll just give it to you straight, he peed on her driver's license in in retaliation. So the incident occurred at the Kenosha location of NH Auto Sales LLC. On February 26th, Leah Jefferson visited the location to test drive a vehicle she was considering purchasing. Jefferson said she handled car sale or she handed, excuse me, car salesman Brian Slavin her license so that she could test drive the vehicle. Following the test drive and negotiations, Jefferson chose not to purchase the car and left the dealership to head back to her home in Milwaukee over an hour away. As she was leaving, she realized she left her driver's license at the dealership with Slavin. Now, she tried to get her driver's license back. And according to Atlanta Black Star, Jefferson claimed on Facebook, she called Slavin asking if she could send him $5 via Cash App in order for him to mail it back to her. Brian reportedly told her he wouldn't be back in the office until Monday. Jefferson told him she would call him when she was back in the office so that she could retrieve her license. Now, after this happened, According to Jefferson, she received a message informing her of some horrifying things. The message said, hi, Leah, were you a recent customer at NH Auto Sales? There's a disturbing video I believe the owner posted regarding your ID, the text message read. She was stunned to see the video first posted by Slavin himself of her driver's license being urinated on. The now viral video shows a man holding Jefferson's license saying, this is what happens when you say stupid stuff to us. And then to avoid accountability after the incident, 
the auto dealer changed their company name Google listing to try to redirect bad reviews. ABC 12 reported that Joe Green, the general manager of Budget Motors of Wisconsin and Racine, which is not connected to NH Auto in any way. He said that on Sunday, his dealership started receiving an unusual number of reviews. They, referring to NH Autos, had changed their name on Google listings to something very similar to ours. People were trying to find them and give them a bad review. Unfortunately, we came up and we started getting bad reviews. So in order to avoid liability or any sort of accountability, they tried to fool the public by changing their name to something similar so that they would get tricked and give bad reviews to another dealership. Now, the Kenosha Police Department has responded to this incident in a post on their Facebook page. And they said that they are investigating it. Now, from their post, KPD is also aware that this video has been viewed a lot. We are aware of the threats being made to the immature culprits and their business. While we can understand that viewing this video causes emotional reactions, we cannot and will not tolerate any acts of violence towards those responsible or associated with the business. Despite the fact that they just downplayed the severity of what happened by referring to the individual responsible as just immature. Now, Jefferson, the woman who had her license desecrated, said that she's received a lot of support online since sharing her experience. On February 27th, Jefferson wrote on social media that Budget Motors of Wisconsin has offered to gift her a free car. And another local car detailing business offered her free detail service. Now I wanna remind you that Budget Motors is not the auto dealership that Slavin worked at. It's not the dealership that she went to to test drive the car. It's the dealership that its name was similar to what NH Auto Sales changed their name to that was receiving unwarranted hate. Now they've stepped up and they've done a decent thing by giving this woman a free vehicle. NH Auto Sales has taken no responsibility and no accountability despite the fact that their own employee posted to his own, uh, own Snapchat. Not just a, a video of him urinating on her ID, but a video that contained a complete clear image of her ID and all of her identifying information on it. I mean, this is ridiculous. I mean, I'm glad that she's receiving the support, but I'm mortified that this dealership is doing nothing about it seemingly, Jackson. Well, first it's like you gotta put yourself in this guy's in this guy's mind, you know, and it's like at what point did this make sense? At what point was this the thing to do? Let's say you didn't get caught up, let's say no one ever saw it. Well, first and foremost, you had to put it online because people had to see you doing it. This is what happens when you call and want your license back. Don't be want your license back, you know, because no one needs those things. You know, we don't need identification to do anything as adults in, in this country. And then the other thing you got to think, it's like, obviously, you know, the NH Auto Sales, they handled this absolutely horribly. But like as whoever manager, owner, whatever it is, the person in, in, in charge, like what's going through your head when you discover that one of your employees has done this? You know, like how do you even have that conversation? It, it, it's just this whole thing is ridiculous. But, you know, there's a lot of people out here who really aren't well, and they'll show it through little incidences like this. Things like this often uh, go unseen, or maybe they're not at work uh, doing it. But I don't think a mentally stable or healthy person would do something like this. You know, if someone called and wanted their credit card back or their license back or whatever it is, it'd be like, "Okay, sure, I'll get it back to you." 
But, you know, you're that mad that you have to do your job, apparently. Yeah, truly disgusting. And it seems like he was aggrieved that she didn't buy the car she went to see. But as a used car salesman, you have to see that like 50 times a day. Not everyone who comes in and test drives a car is going to buy it. So, you know, hopefully he's fired. I will say when I first read the story earlier this week, I went to try to find information about NH auto sales. And I actually encountered the same problem that I couldn't find them anymore when I was Googling them. And I couldn't find their Facebook page anymore because they had changed the name. So they're clearly trying to avoid accountability. Hopefully this police investigation helps circumvent that so that it can actually be held responsible for what they've done. With that said, We have to go to another break, but stick around because we'll be back with more stories after this. Welcome back to Indisputable. I'm Ravana filling in for Dr. Richie. Let's take a look at some of your comments for the last couple stories about the Wish a Karen would, America needs a reboot, said these Karens are just basically one trick ponies. I've had yet to see a Karen that displays any nuance. They need to step up their game. We need like a Karen University so we can get you know more more nuance within our Karens, more entertaining Karens, definitely. And about the last story about the ID, Kyle CH said, wasn't Rittenhouse protecting a Kenosha auto dealership when he defended himself? That is true. I don't I don't think <laughs> it's the same one, but it is the same town. And then from YouTube Super Chat, Michael Hinson says, has Karen never had sushi before? Because she was yelling about it being raw and watery. Apparently not. You know, the, the British palate is not well, not well refined. All right. Let's switch gears. Let's move into this next story, which is just tragic. An 11-year-old girl in Detroit suffers brain damage. After an enraged substitute teacher flung a metal hockey stick while aiming at another student. Shakira Thomas, a former student at the Hope Academy Elementary School, says she now has to wear glasses after being assaulted by Jacqueline Brown. The family plans on suing. Now, Brown was apparently filling in for a permanent teacher in May of 2022 when she got angry at one of the students. In a rage, she picked up a metal hockey stick and hurled it at the child. It missed the intended target and hit Thomas, who was an innocent bystander. The student described the incident to Fox 2 Detroit News saying, she was yelling and doing some cussing. The next thing I know, I feel something hard on the side of my head. Now the school has responded after the incident, not well. Let's take a look at how they handled the situation. From Atlanta Black Star, the young girl did not immediately receive medical attention after sustaining the injury. Instead, her lawyer says the school administration lost track of the girl. Her mother, when coming up to the school to bring the girl home, had to press school workers to locate her. When they did, the attorney says they found the girl wandering the hallways in a daze. Eventually, Thomas was taken to the hospital where she was treated for the gash in her head. Doctors stapled her head through her braids and since she has been experiencing memory loss and nightmares, which the family says is connected to the head injury. She has also been seeing a counselor to support her with the now life changes she has experienced as a result of the incident. Now the teacher, has been legally punished, so let's turn to the details of that. 
Brown was criminally charged for the assault and pleaded no contest on Thursday, February 23rd to one count of child abuse. Thomas was present for the sentencing. The plea agreement stipulates that Brown will do two years of probation and will be mandated to attend anger management classes. The lawyer says the teacher has never said sorry to the girl she hurt. Brown is no longer permitted to work in a school or any other educational position unless the court approves it. Now, I've worked in schools in the past, I've worked as a teacher. It doesn't matter if a student was acting up. It wouldn't matter if she had hit the intended target. You, as the adult responsible for the care of these children, have to keep your emotions in check. It's absurd and things like this absolutely should never happen. These people are entrusted to take care of these children. That's their responsibility. They can't let their emotions get the best of them. Jackson. Well, I mean, like you pointed out, like let's there, there's no argument that uh, this substitute could have used to justify what she did. You know, if she would have hit the intended student, then you know the same thing may, maybe could have happened, maybe even worse. Who knows? And then the fact that the little girl was walking around the school days by herself, not knowing what was going on. Not only did she get hit, but then the teacher just kind of ignored it and and let things go on about their way. Um, does someone like this not have violence in their past? I don't know, but you know, I, I would think that you know someone who has some type of stability um, wouldn't do something like this. I mean, you just wouldn't. Not only are there kids, but you're at work. You know, it's not like you're like defending your son or your daughter from a violent mob of kids who are attacking them. And uh, no turn was this acceptable. Uh, but I, I mean, just this really is just disgusting. It's sick. And um, the school, how they handled it wasn't appropriate. But unfortunately, there are people who are in school systems who do things like this. So. Video and photos circulating on social media reveal an anti-racism protest to air grievances about a teacher at Indian Springs High School in San Bernardino, California, turned violent on Tuesday. One scene documented showed security officers tackling students and even kneeling on the neck of one black student, which you can see pictured here. Now there's another video which shows an unidentified school official grappling with a student outside of a classroom. Leading up to the tussle, the pair were arguing before the teen appears to swat the older man's phone away, prompting the adult to throw up his hands. Another angle shows the moment a security officer deployed pepper spray into a crowd of over 100 students during this protest. Now, according to a Facebook post made by one of the student organizers, Gianna Woods, myself and a friend of mine held a peaceful walkout at Indian Springs High School in an attempt to remove racist staff and educators from our campus after being reported multiple times. These reports range from sexual harassment, verbal assault, discrimination based on sexual orientation, race, and religion. The protest turned violent after one of our staff assaulted a student. From there, four other innocent arrests were made, as well as an entire group of children being pepper sprayed with no medical attention. Even after the various altercations, we kept a large majority of students on the right track and ultimately change was made. We got to speak with someone who is finally on our side and is willing to listen. Now Woods named the teacher in question further in her post because we can't independently verify the claims. We've redacted the teacher's name. Now this teacher, 
she says, is the name you need. He was our last straw. My personal encounters with him have included verbal assault, sexual harassment, discrimination based on race and religion, bullying, as well as the push of political beliefs and consequences if not complied with. School should be a safe space, not a battlefield, and she is exactly right. Now, she also included in her post numerous photos and videos from Tuesday's walkout, saying they serve as proof of the peaceful nature of the protest before things became violent. Now, the school district has issued their side of the story. According to KCAL News, according to the San Bernardino Unified School District, students began their protest at about 11 a.m. They were trying to air their grievances about the specific teacher when the demonstration grew into a large unruly crowd after a group tried to enter a classroom to disrupt lessons. School officials said that staff intervened and tried to disperse the crowd when the campus security started using pepper spray on students. No injuries were reported, but two students were examined by the nurse. Some students were detained and will face discipline. However, it is unsure if they are facing criminal charges. District said they are investigating claims made against a specific teacher that was the cause of the protest. First, I want to say those students absolutely should not be facing charges. These are children, these are minors. And the last thing on earth that we need is more kids locked up in our prison system. Or even with a criminal record that's gonna impair their ability you know, to be successful moving forward. We'll also say that these students were demonstrating their free speech rights. They had the right to gather, they had the right to protest. And you know, if things did become rowdy, the school could have handled it much better than dispersing pepper spray into a group in an enclosed area of 100 students, even though they only say there was no injuries reported. I mean, you know, the trauma of being attacked by police officers in their own school where they're meant to feel safe is gonna stick with them. Jackson. Well, you know, look at how alive and well all the isms are in this country. Meanwhile, you know, we're trying to ban books that talk a little bit about diversity or talk about our history whatsoever while we're trying to, you know, ban critical race theory all over the place. Um, but it's just really crazy to think about how these really are just human traits that we have to deal with that we haven't dealt with properly. Uh, racism, classism is still alive and well in this country. And it doesn't matter if it's adults protesting or a bunch of kids protesting. I mean, we were talking about before the show started about how the 2024 uh, primary Republican elections pretty much already handed to Donald Trump. Uh, while liberal pundits and conservative pundits act like the Republican Party's ready to move away from these kinds of things. Where? What are you talking about? Since when? You know, um, but this is the country that we live in, and these issues are still very real, and we have to deal with them properly. So. It's just unfortunate to see. Absolutely, I'm glad that the students claim that they've met with someone who's going to hear them out. Um, but you know, this the especially the type of police response to protesting is so systemic that we're even seeing it in protests within these schools. So you're right; it really is, you know, a, a massive issue that needs to be addressed at a national level. All right, with that said, got to go to another break, but stick around, and I'll be reading some of your comments after this. Welcome back to Indisputable, I'm Ravana filling in for Dr. Ritchie. And now let's take a look at what some of you have to say. Um, in reference to the story about the students being maced during the protest, TYT member Mickey C. the Silver Haired Dragon says, the cop kneeled on the child's neck. After the George Floyd murder, 
Most police departments announced that kneeling on necks is too dangerous, possibly fatal, so needed to be banned. The child knelt on could have had permanent damage to his spine, if not death. Yeah, I think especially the school statement sort of downplayed the severity of the police violence against the students and more attention needs to be brought to that. And then Lynn says, the school is now investigating the teacher after the students allegedly complained multiple times before. Apparently so, as ridiculous as it is, apparently so. From YouTube. Shiva says these monsters need accountability and punishment, referring to the police officers and the teachers. Um, you know, I couldn't agree more. Hopefully, it comes. Although the police seemed in the school seemed more concerned about the accountability for the students, which is just absurd. Um, and then from Twitch about the student who is uh, da- who had brain damage because the teacher threw a hockey stick at them. Neon Death says, I haven't applied to be available as a sub locally because I'm trans and live in a rural area. Yet people like this who are subbing are the people subbing for our teachers. Absolutely insane. This this woman should be nowhere near a school. Shouldn't have in the first place. Dimash said, had a gash in her head and the teachers didn't even send her to the nurse. Shows intent to cover it up. At the very least, it shows a complete indifference to the well-being of the student. But you know, I'd be more inclined to agree with you that it seems like there was an attempt to cover this up, and they didn't even inform the mom from the jump about what had happened. And then if an eight says, in reference to the school protest, seems campus security can't stop hate, rape, or hate crimes, but can stop a protest against racism. Hmm. Yeah, really shows where their priorities are there. All right, let's move forward to this next story, which could be a little bit of good news. Solicitor General Elizabeth Prelogger, the government's top Supreme Court lawyer, may have saved President Joe Biden's $400 billion student loan forgiveness plan. Her quote, preparation, poise, and power being so impressive, some members of SCOTUS changed their minds after oral arguments. Let's turn to this reporting from CNBC News. In contrast, the attorneys for plaintiffs opposed to the program were less than stellar. Higher education expert Mark Kantrowitz said it was like the difference between a star quarterback and two tiddlywinks players. The nine justices considered two legal challenges to Biden's plan to cancel up to $20,000 in student debt for borrowers. Six GOP led states, Arkansas, Iowa, Kansas, Missouri, Nebraska, and South Carolina, had brought one of the lawsuits and the other was backed by the Job Creators Network Foundation, a conservative advocacy organization. Prelogger argued that the president was acting squarely within the law to avoid borrower distress during national emergencies and that plaintiffs had not shown in any way that they'd be harmed by the policy, which is typically a requirement to establish so-called legal standing. I'll also just add here, in my opinion, Biden could have avoided one of the lawsuits on the basis of standing entirely if he had just erased all of student loan debt. Because her argument, her contention is that she's harmed because her student loan debt wasn't forgiven. He didn't do that, I wish he would have. But I'm glad that these lawyers are making convincing arguments for student loan borrowers. Now, the Biden administration cited the HEROES Act of 2003 as its legal justification. That law, which is a product of the September 11th terrorist attacks, allows the US Secretary of Education to waive or modify student loan programs to ensure borrowers aren't left worse off because of a national emergency. 
Opponents of the president's plan say canceling hundreds of billions in dollars in student debt for tens of millions of Americans goes far beyond the scope of the HEROES Act. Now, nobody's favorite justice, Justice Clarence Thomas, who kicked off questioning, seemed to echo that view. He was quoted saying, we're talking about half a trillion dollars and 43 million Americans. How does that fit under the normal understanding of modifying? Prelogger countered that the heart of the provision's purpose was to allow the secretary to make sure borrowers don't suffer financially because of their loans during a crisis. And that's exactly what the Biden administration's policy does. Now, a top US Department of Education official recently warned that the public health crisis has caused considerable financial harm to student loan borrowers and that its debt cancellation plan is necessary to stave off a historic rise in delinquencies and defaults. It couldn't have surprised Congress one bit that in response to hardship posed by a national emergency, Secretary might consider similarly providing discharge if that's what it takes to make sure borrowers don't default. Now, Justice Elena Kagan agreed with this point. She said, this is an emergency provision posing a hypothetical that the crisis had been an earthquake rather than a pandemic. Now, the right wing powers that be, organizations, largely the Federalist Society, carefully planned these lawsuits, who would bring them and, and what they would represent. Now, six members of the Supreme Court are bought and paid for by the Federalist Society. I think the arguments made by Biden's legal team were more than sound. I think they were argued eloquently. I spent some time listening to the oral arguments. You're allowed to do that. You can't, there's no video footage of the arguments, but you can listen to them on SCOTUS blog. So if anyone's interested in doing that, you can do that. In my opinion, they could have out argued the hell out of the uh, lawyers representing the plaintiffs. It doesn't change the fact that these justices are not making decisions based on the law, but on ideology. I would love to be proven wrong. I would love for them to, you know, take this opportunity to affirm Biden's student loan, you know, uh, forgiveness plan, and not just because I myself <laughs> stand to have twenty thousand dollars of my student loans forgiven, which would change my life, you know, in ways I cannot even describe. But even if I didn't have student loans, these you know student loan debts are holding people back from starting their lives. They are a huge, huge pressure on individuals. You can't you know you can't file for bankruptcy and get them off of your record thanks to Biden. Now he and his team really need to be pushing hard. I'm glad that they are. Um, but my hopes aren't that high, if I'm being honest. Jackson, what do you think about this? Yeah, I have pretty much the same sentiment. You know, um, the arguments can be sound, but at the end of the day, this Supreme Court reversed Roe v. Wade, something that had been in place for over half a century. Um, a right was taken away from people on the basis of states leaving it up to the states, despite the collateral damage that happened. Um, this is a conservative activist court. At the end of the day, they're going to do what they want to do, not what makes the most sense. But if this does get struck down, then this will be Biden's key accomplishment, his biggest accomplishment that will be no more. He won't be able to claim it. And sure, he'll be able to point fingers to the Republicans, but that's not really gonna do that much for his campaign or for the Democrats at large. Because we just watched Biden drop the ball with defending rail workers. He didn't show up to East Palestine when Ohio, when Donald Trump did. Pete Buttigieg dragged his feet. 
And so again, if this signature accomplishment doesn't get doesn't get through, then there's not going to be that much that Biden can brag about for what he did. And um, again, I, I don't really have much faith in this court either. I'm, it's pretty much they're in the back of my mind at this point to like they're just going to do what they want. You know, yeah. like I've kind of removed my my emotional connection to what what these federal judges are going to do because, as you pointed out, they're there as a matter of corporate career. They're not there to do the right thing. Absolutely, and I'll just say that I think it's really ridiculous that. Both of these lawsuits are being brought forward about student debt forgiveness. Where were they when PPP loans were being forgiven? But I can say that the plaintiff who is suing because her student loans weren't forgiven, I know where she was when PPP loans were being forgiven. She was getting thousands of dollars in her PPP loan forgiven. So when that was happening, no problem with loan forgiveness. But now that other people are benefiting from it and she isn't, now we're going to bring this case all the way to the Supreme Court. Absolutely ridiculous. Very sad. The police engage in action that led to the death of a woman who simply needed medical care. Why was this happening? Because the medical facility, according to the report, says she had to leave. Here it is. They want you gone. I'm talking. I understand you say you got some problems going on. You're going to have to find a way to get out of here, okay? I don't want this to turn into a situation where you have to go to jail. Shattered of my ankle, I had a stroke. Well, if the medical professionals have saw you and discharged you, they, they won't. I got nothing out. to do. With, I got nothing to do with that then. But you got to get going. I can't even get down here. So you're saying that you're gonna go to jail? Well, what's gonna happen is, is you're gonna have to roll this off the property. It's the I hospital's can't. wheelchair. Well, you're gonna have to get up and figure out a way to get going. I can't. Please don't do me this way. I don't want to go to jail. Get up and. I have to warn you now. The rest of this video is going to become extremely disturbing. Very, very hard to watch, but it is required. Here it is. Oh no! I need you to step up. Okay? I can't. Yeah, you have to. I'm pulling me back. You're gonna have to get up there because we're gonna have to physically put you up there if not. Oh my God! I can't. You're gonna break me. Yes, ma'am. You're gonna have to get up. My in. ankle. You've been medically cleared, ma'am. This is not gonna work. So we need you to help us. My ankle. No, stop. Okay, it's not working. Okay, just stop. Get in the daggone. Okay. Oh my. Jesus, Lord, Mary, goats. Now you're starting to piss me off. Get up. This is the Lord's. Listen to me. This is the Lord's day. All I want to do is give me some coffee and some oatmeal. I'm not going to deal with your mess this morning. We've already spent too much time on you. You're going to get up here in this van and you're going to go to jail. We're done with you. We're going to get in there and pass out. We'll be done with it. Because this is all an act. You're not going back in the hospital. We're not taking you back. You've been kicked out of two hospitals. What do you need your purse for? It's not in there. We've already went through it. in your purse. You know what's about to happen? You're about to get some more charges. That's what's about to happen. My problem with me is that I know it's, it's all an act. You, you, oh, well, been, we all know yeah. that. This is your inhaler. The medicine is missing. Get a stretcher. Yeah. Why we need a stretcher? I can't see. Do not have an inhaler. Hey, it's not one of the Right there. Please hurry. 
Uniform's all nasty from her. Ah. You want a cigarette? No. I was kind of thinking, uh, just leave her on the sidewalk and all white blanket over and everybody can go about their day. <laughs> She's already got worn on her now. I'm glad to get an extra charge for this order to come up. I'm about to get anything I can think of. Meet the sidewalk. I'm yeah, about to get anything I can think of. You guys are going to let me die. Please help me out. Sir, please. You're going to kill me. Please. I beg you. Stand up. Walk. We know you can walk. Now stop. Okay. Okay. Now Stop up. up. You can set yourself up. These cowards. Here's when she died. Ah. Uh, you kill me. I can't breathe. What's that? Lift me up. You pulled yourself to. Lift uh, <laughs> me up. Oh my God. Scoot back towards me. You peed in my car? I'm sorry, I ain't doing it. Okay. You guys. You're fine back there. Stop it. Take me off. What are you doing with you today? You're fine. Just lift yourself up. I can't. You're okay. Hey, are you up? She's not responding back there now. Can you start me a 47 here at emergency room? Hey, come on, sit up. Sit up. 20 to 41, is it your prisoner that's unconscious or the driver of the car you stopped? My prisoner. My prisoner. Sit up. <laughs> yeah, boy. I don't know if she's faking it or what, but she's not answering me. Wake up. Hey, wake up. She was never faking it. Put up the picture of this woman who should be alive, <clears throat> but is dead. Newly released body cam footage shows Knoxville, Tennessee police completely dismiss and ridicule. Elderly woman, she told them her medical condition. She told them. She was in pain and felt like she was going to die. And she did. 60 year old Lisa Edwards, who used a wheelchair and had suffered a prior stroke that left her disabled in 2019. She had been discharged from the Fort Sanders Regional Medical Center on the morning of February 5th, but refused to leave which prompted security to call the police. She was then taken to Roger D. Willison detention facility to be booked on trespassing charges. She became fully unresponsive as you just saw. Edwards was taken back to the same hospital where she died. Her family states officers treated her like trash, and they did. According to WVLT, her family is consulting a lawyer. Let's put up the chief of police, guy in charge. Chief, got a question to ask you. Would you be okay with someone treating your mother that way? Maybe your grandmother. How about your wife? 
or your sister or your child or you. Your man treated her this way, yours. Now, I'm not the police, don't wanna be. But I promise you, if I were, those under my command would fear me. There's no way this is justified. This woman begged for her life. She was tortured by your men. His name is Paul Noel, and let's put him up for mass. Police officials said the involved employees are Sergeant Brandon Wartlow, Officer Adam Barnett, Officer <laughs> Timothy DeStacio, and Transportation Officer Danny Dugan. Now, one of them provided any leadership to say, guys, wait a minute, let me try to keep everyone out of trouble here and make sure. We follow protocol because she has said the magic word, I need help. I can't breathe. They are now on paid administrative leave as an ongoing internal investigation will determine whether the officers violated police policy, whether they violated police policy. Knox County DA spokesman Sean McDermott wrote in a news release on the 21st of this month. An autopsy conducted by medical examiners with the Knox County Regional Forensic Center concluded that Lisa Edwards died of natural causes. You heard me. The DA being a coward is standing behind this document, which is obviously misleading in my opinion from the Regional Forensic Center saying that, well, this was just um, natural causes due to a stroke and a cardiovascular disease. And that no time, this is in the report, it says no time, that no time did law enforcement interaction cause or contribute to Miss Edwards' death. That's what the DA said. What? You have become a defense attorney? You're a prosecutor. You are elected by the people to investigate and prosecute crime. You have now become the defense attorney for individuals who killed a whole human being. Their actions led to the death of that woman. It is clear for everyone to see, I don't give a damn what a sheet of paper says from the forensics lab. Let's put up the person in charge of that lab since you cited it, DA. Knox County Regional Forensic Center Chief Medical Examiner, Darinka Melisnik Polishin. She's in charge of that facility. The DA's office said in their statement that Edwards had flown to Knoxville on the 4th of February. During the flight, she experienced abdominal pain and was taken to Blount Memorial Hospital when she landed. After she was discharged, she sought additional treatment at Fort Sanders Regional Medical Center. That is when. She was discharged from that one and they said, we need to call the police because she will not leave. Let's put the picture up of the guy in charge there. Fort Sanders Regional Medical Center Chief Administrator. His name is Keith Al Schuler. The Knox County DA General, Sharm P. Allen. 
The DA's office has cleared the officers of any criminal charges because the video shows she was not beaten by the police. She was never subdued. There was no physical struggle between law enforcement and Miss Edwards, and there was no restraint. Asphyxia is what it's called. Um, so they're standing behind the fact that they basically, um, because they killed her by other means, there is going to be no charge. There will not be a criminal penalty. Because them being criminally negligent, that leads to the death of a human being, not a big deal. However, if you would have done that to an elderly woman, if I would have done that to an elderly woman, we would be going to prison. Because we have a reasonable duty to not be that negligent in situations like that. And there's also a duty, a responsibility affixed with the relationship known as a first responder to a citizen, to a person. They decided to violate all known protocol and those violations led to the death of a human being. The family obviously is outraged, so am I. This woman should be alive today. This woman was suffering, she was suffering. Not one person had enough compassion or heart to simply take the time to see her. And let's talk about the hospital. While the hospital represents a microcosm of the dynamic of healthcare in this country, the macrocosm is this, not one hospital should have turned her away. What was it about? Why did she get turned away? She was obviously in pain, her ankle was busted. She could barely breathe, who would turn her away? Was it related to money? I got questions because this woman should be alive today. Jeff thoughts here. It saddens me that one of the last things she heard before she died was it's the Lord's day. I just yeah. want oatmeal and yep. coffee. Heartless. The convenience of this man's life and maybe her ailments inconveniencing him is what led to, as you said, criminal negligence. Whoever put that rule in the books likely lives in neighborhoods where they don't even have to deal with or contend with police unless it's for an emergency or it's on demand. And the fact that this woman couldn't even get help from these officers should let us know all we need to know. But I do have a question though. What was the worst that was going to happen if they readmitted her to that hospital or gave her the additional assistance that she needed, not wanted, she requested for and needed? What was yeah. the worst that was gonna happen? She get like what, an additional day in the hospital? I don't understand why everybody was so inconvenienced by someone in need at that time. Right, she goes back to the same hospital that created the circumstance initially. She goes back there after she's unresponsive in the police car begging them, please take me back to the hospital, I need care. All right, we're gonna follow this story because right now, right now, Nothing to see here is what the police are saying. We shall see later this week. Why are you blocking me in? Let me get out of here. Call security. Why are you blocking me in? Call security. Why are you blocking me in? You're not gonna call security, I am. Go ahead, because you're blocking me in. This is her. You're gonna go all over TikTok, lady. Let me out of here. Let me out of here. 
can you just get out of the way? If you get out of the way, I can leave. You're literally blocking me in. video evidence of you holding me, keeping me in. This is Petty AF Karen. Now, Petty AF Karen simply has nothing else better to do than to be petty. It literally takes more energy, more emphasis, more stress to do that than simply to go home, to leave. But once again, in the world of Karenicity, things do not have to make sense in order to make sense to the Karen. All right, uh, when you stop someone from moving, when you block a person, stop them from advancing, uh, that can be a criminal offense. That can be an intentional tort as well. Uh, a lot of violations here. But here's the thing, when she said, I'm going to call security if you don't, wait a minute, you are the one who's blocking another person, but you're going to call security on yourself. Ladies and gentlemen, I have not seen privilege like this in a parking garage in a long time. All right, Sharon, thoughts here. Yeah, Dr. Richie, you know that saying, if a tree falls in the forest, <laughs> will anybody hear it? Right. If the feds ban TikTok, how will we track <laughs> these right, Karens? Right. That's right. How are we gonna keep track of them? Because it's generating so much activity on TikTok. Listen, hopefully you can stop this behavior if you have good friends around you who say, Petty AF, you gotta stop this. Yep. You gotta stop, you gotta walk away. Stop arguing with everyone for really seemingly no good reason. You're not making any sense. If not, well, as long as we have TikTok, or as long as we have it, we'll see more of this. You know, you just gave me a great idea. Another one. Karen TikTok. <laughs> Karen's all day. Nothing I else. Binge on that. Wouldn't get anything done at home. <laughs> right. All right. <laughs> Let's get into this next story. Two guys take on real estate on TikTok, posted a skit showing landlords how to advocate for getting their tenants to pay them a tip on top of their monthly rent. Let's watch. 
All right, thanks for paying your rent this month. Go ahead and sign here. It's just going to ask you a couple of questions. A tip? I'm not tipping my landlord. So you'll tip a barista who pours overpriced coffee into a cup, but not the guy who's on call 24-7 to make sure you have a safe home? I'm not tipping you. This isn't a restaurant. Okay, so you'll tip an extra 25% for somebody to carry you a basket of chicken wings, but you won't tip someone who responds for after-hours emergency calls? I, uh... Yep. Well, I guess when it's time for your lease renewal, I'm going to make sure gratuity is included in your rent. It's a little tip I learned from two guys take on real estate. So House Republicans just voted to give Biden the authority to ban TikTok. And after seeing that video, I'm on their side. I'm sold. (laughs) Any platform where this exists should should not be available to the public. I mean, it's so... It's just awful, Jackson. I'll just let you jump in here. And- I mean, just everything about that was ridiculous. I mean, first and foremost, he has this pompous attitude, like he's the richest man in the world, and he ain't. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> like he ain't. Like, bro, plenty of people are doing better than you. No friends. I mean, I'm not even gonna get into that. Let's talk <laughs> about, you know, like, so you're willing to tip a barista? Not always. What if the waitress <laughs> or the waiter is doesn't have good service? then I won't tip them. And on that same note, every landlord doesn't give good service either. We're also talking about quite a disparity in cost. You know what I mean? Over half of most people's income goes to just keeping the lights on, keeping a roof over their head. You can get a coffee, you can go get a meal for under $20, $30. We're talking about, you know, $1,500 plus dollars, realistically $2,000 plus dollars. You know, pretty much anywhere you go. So it's it's just stupid and ridiculous. And then, of course, the green hair, because you know everyone who's left leaning is just a broke green haired liberal. You know what I'm saying? Like because we just. And then again, it's like okay, if we can't afford coffee, then why can we afford this? It's a little tip that I learned from. <laughs> like, bro, like you, you, you're not an inviting person. You're not good at this. You're not going to be able to attract more tenants by putting out content like this. You suck at what you do. Like plain and simple. Also, like threatening tenants at the end, they're saying, "Oh well, if you don't tip me every month, I'm going to raise your rent next year." And the year, like, okay, (laughs) I'm not going to live here next year. But I mean, it's it's really ridiculous to me when he starts listing off all the things that landlords apparently do for their tenants. Which one thing he says is they provide 24-hour emergency service, which they don't (laughs) by and large. But the other things he's listing off are things that they are legally obligated to do. <clears throat> the law is dictating that you have to do these things for me. We signed a contract. You said you're going to do these things for me. When you do them, I'm not going to pay you extra for doing them. You're already making. I know how much you're getting just from me alone every month. I also know that the barista at Starbucks or the person who's bringing me my my apparently chicken fingers is what he says. I know that they're not making nearly as much as you are, so I will tip them. They also work Partially for tips. You don't work at all. You don't even have a real job. I'm not going to give you more money because you own a building. And like they oftentimes outsource the maintenance things and the other things he's discussing. So it's like you're not even you're not the person coming in to to fix my sink if the water stops flowing through it. You're not the person who's going to come in and like deal with the small issues in my apartment to make sure everything's up to par. You're paying someone else to do it. So I like, I don't want to hear it. I don't want to hear it. <laughs> yeah, and again, like just just plain and simply, like this guy's not good at what he does. 
He, he's not inviting. He's not friendly. He's condescending. He's pompous. Uh, it, it, that's what kind of marketing or advertising is that? You know, people right. don't have to live there. They they really don't. And, and which would go along the lines of I'm sure how he would think about most things. You know, if you're suffering, just choose to not suffer. If you're poor, just make a decision to wake up one day and be rich. You know what I'm saying? Just think your depression away. You know, he, he's one of these types of people like, okay, well, I'll just think my pen right onto another contract into another building. Like this, I mean, but yes, I, I 100% agree. Um, I'm not necessarily for banning, uh, it, not always, but in this in, in this case, I, I'm not against it at all. We don't need this in America. <laughs> we, just don't. we just flat out don't. And it's like shocking that this guy is not even the worst landlord I've seen on TikTok. <laughs> There's landlords that record themselves evicting tenants oh, and then yeah. they post it for content. And so often you can see that the landlord is clearly the person in the wrong because they'll go in, there'll be something wrong with the apartment and the tenant will be like, I told you I'm not paying my rent until you fix this problem. I saw one TikTok of a landlord whose tenant was like, like he hasn't fixed our, our our oven for the past like six months. So I've been holding in a separate account the money every month for the rent, which he will get when he fixes it. And he just evicts them and then he's insulting them to their faces and then calls the cops to kick them out. I mean, it's just so gross to me that there's even an audience for this. Like who is like sitting around like, oh, I can't wait to see a landlord evict some poor person on TikTok today. <laughs> Republicans are doing that. That that's the type of people who who take in that content because as long as it's happening to liberals and not them, then it's funny. So you know, yeah, Republicans and then probably other landlords, which you know, the chart of that might be a complete circle. Republicans yeah. and landlords, but they yeah. all come full circle at some point. Yeah, <laughs> it, it's just like I don't know. It just disappoints me, like that this content's being made. I'm glad he's getting roasted because you shouldn't feel comfortable posting stuff like that. In my opinion, you shouldn't be like, "Oh, this is a great video. I'm sure everyone will like it. Let me upload this to the internet." Well, a lot of people like that too. Like they kind of get off on being provocative, you know. Like they they yeah. kind of like, oh, everyone's hating on me. Oh, that must mean I'm so great because everyone doesn't like me. Like one of those one of those types of people who like get off on people disliking them. So you know, it'll get them it'll get them where it gets them and no further. Yep. All right. Well, Jackson, thank you so much for joining me today to break down these stories. Why don't you let the people know where they can find you? I am no longer on Twitter, so you can catch me on my YouTube channel at uh, youtube.com slash at politics and paper. I'm doing live streams and coming soon I'll be having guests and doing a whole lot of more in-depth podcasts. But youtube.com slash at politics and paper. It was a pleasure to be here with you, Ravana. Like I said, I didn't know it was going to be like that, but it's always a good time when we link up. Yeah, it was a last minute fill-in for me, so I was happy when I saw your name on the rundown today. Oh, yeah. Um, all right, everybody, but that's all the time we have. Thank you so much for watching Indisputable. Again, I'm Ravana filling in for Dr. Richie. That's Jackson White. Check out both of our videos on Rebel HQ, on Facebook, and on YouTube. All right, bye, everybody.